We'll be back in John chapter 5. So if you would turn there with us, please. John chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 30 um, in just a moment. The past few weeks we've been walking through this glorious chapter and we continue to find ourselves captivated with the long discourse wherein Christ is teaching Christology. This discourse began in verse 19 and it runs all the way through verse 47. We find several different themes that Jesus is focusing on as he is speaking to the Jews. It began with him telling the Jews of his unity with the Father and how one the Father and the Son are in nature and power and in will. Then he spoke of how this plays itself out in, in Jesus having the authority to judge and the power to give life to whom he will. Needless to say, Jesus has been making some absolutely incredible claims. Claims that we all have to examine to determine whether or not we believe them to be true. As we sit here as believers in Christ, reading what Jesus is claiming, we probably don't find ourselves in need of any other evidence to corroborate whether or not what Jesus is claiming is true or not. Because the Spirit within us is saying yes and amen to everything that we are reading. However, there are some, the Jews in front of Jesus, for example, who need to hear the proof. They want to see some evidence to back up these claims. You ever heard anybody say something like that? They're unwilling to take Jesus at His word, and so they don't believe Him. It's as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that the Jews seek signs. Jesus is standing here being tried in the court of public opinion. And He is giving some very wild claims. So, to back them up, He calls three of the most reliable witnesses that anyone could ever call to the witness stand to give compelling, irrefutable testimony to the identity and deity of Christ. That's what we're about to look at today. We could call this, if you'd like, in defense of the deity of Christ. If you look at verse 30, chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, 
His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We'll stop there and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this just amazing chapter. We thank you for this book, for this gospel. It's just been so wonderful to read it and to study it and to understand the great and glorious truth that's here. Lord, we pray that once again that you would help us, that you would help me, needy as I am, to speak truthfully and to speak accurately and with precision and with both grace and love. That my words would be tempered by wisdom. Lord, that I would share only what is faithful to the text. I pray that you would help the hearing of your word, that you would give us all eyes to see and ears to hear the great and glorious truth of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So Jesus here in this passage, he begins by giving his defense through the testimony of the reliable witnesses. And then he turns on the offensive, which we will see, Lord willing, next week. And he accuses the Jews of their unbelief. So this morning, we're going to focus on the witnesses and the defense of his deity. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. This is really tied into what we talked about last week with Jesus being given the authority to judge. He's reiterating again his oneness with the Father. And he does so by making, if you noticed, a drastic shift in his language. Up to this point, he has been calling himself the Son, the Son of God, the Son of Man. But look at verse 30, what it begins with. I can do nothing on my own, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So, if the Jews had not understood that he's been talking about himself up to this point, now he turns and makes it explicit and crystal clear that he's talking about himself. He's making all of this personal and directly applying it to himself. So when he said that the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing in verse 19, he shows us now clearly that he was speaking of himself. That he can do nothing of his own accord. That as he hears, he judges. His judgment is not his own. He is the Son that He referred to. And this Son of God who is perfectly united with the Father and who has been given the authority to judge by the Father, He is still so deeply connected to the will of God that even His judgment is not of His own accord. Even though the Father gave Him the authority to judge, He is so one with the Father that His judgment is not His own. Jesus says that He can do nothing on his own. Why? Because he seeks not his own will. 
It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have power. It means that he's not going to do anything outside of the will of the Father because he is perfectly united with him. This is a really profound statement that we ought not to miss. It's, it's not saying, again, that, that Jesus is powerless, but that they are so intricately connected in will that Jesus can do nothing outside of that will. He's not going to do anything that is any way diverging from the will of the Father. Whether it's His Word, the things that He speaks, His works, the things that He does, or His judgment, Jesus does the will of the Father perfectly. We could say then that the judgment issued by Jesus is the judgment of the Father. We learned a little bit about that this morning in Matthew chapter 7. Now, if we just look at the surface level of what Jesus has been saying here, we can readily concede that these are astounding claims. Let's remember, we've said this a few times already, but let's remember that the Jews are standing there in front of just a man. By their eyes, he's just a man. He's dressed like everybody else. He's breathing like everybody else. He has not appeared in glory. There's nothing outwardly that would give any indication that he's different. That there's something different about him. We're told in chapter 1 that he came to his own and his own didn't even recognize him. They didn't even know who he was. Isaiah 53, there was nothing outwardly about him. It was of any appeal. So he's standing here making these incredible claims and these grand pronouncements that He is one with the Father and that He has the authority to judge and the power to raise people from the dead. This is amazing. You'd probably think to yourself, if you wouldn't say it out loud, I'm going to need some proof. Do you have any credentials, sir? Do you have any evidence to substantiate your claims? Jesus, being all-knowing, is keen to this. And so he says in verse 31, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. What is he saying there? Well, in other words, if Jesus is saying all of these things about himself by himself, meaning that he has no other witnesses, no other testimony, no one to back up his claims, then his testimony might not be true. What he is saying might sound great and powerful, but if there was no one who would back him up, if the Father were not backing up what he's saying, then indeed Jesus is making some wild outlandish claims without any base. But he's saying this because remember, they want to kill him. We saw that in verse 18, that they were trying all the more to kill him. Why? Because he had made himself equal with God. They thought that he deserved the death penalty. This is blasphemy. Blasphemy under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, was deserving of the death penalty. They thought that he's blaspheming by making himself equal with God. So Jesus here acknowledges the principle that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Because essentially they're bringing a charge against him that he's a blasphemer. So Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness 
shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Paul is later going to tell us that this is a general principle of establishing truth is that two or three witnesses are required to establish a truth claim. Anything that is professed to be true, it has to have witnesses in order to verify its truth. So in their mind, the Jews, they have a strong case against Jesus if he doesn't have any witnesses to substantiate his claims. You are here professing to be equal with God, that you can judge. You have the power to raise people from the dead. We have multiple witnesses that you are saying these things. So unless you can provide some some sort of two or three witnesses, then you deserve the death penalty. Now that's what's going on here. That's obviously not exactly what they're saying. But that's what's happening behind the scenes here. What they don't understand is that they do not have the eyes to see that Jesus is truth. So he's only able to speak the truth. He can do nothing of his own. If the Father is not a man that he should lie, then Jesus, being one with the Father, only able to do what the Father does, it would be said of Jesus that he's not a man that he should lie. But they don't understand this. They don't have the eyes to see And that's why he can say later in chapter 8, when this idea of witnesses comes up again, it's in chapter 8, verse 13, it's the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. It's the same idea as our, our passage here. You're bearing witness about yourself, by yourself. So your testimony is not true. Jesus answered them, I love this, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Even if Jesus did bear witness about himself without any other witnesses, his testimony would still be true because he's the Son of God. I'm saying all of this to say it can be confusing to read Jesus saying that something he said could potentially not be true. That can be kind of shocking for us to lay our eyes on in our Bible. What do you mean, Jesus? Everything you say is true. Yes, we know that. Because you have the Spirit who says that, who confirms that, affirms that within you. But you have to think of these Jews who are before Him. They don't believe Him. They don't know who He is. What they do know is what the law says. And the law says that blasphemers should be put to death and that everything has to be substantiated by two or three witnesses. So, even though Jesus doesn't need to do it, he plays along. He provides them with witnesses. And who does he call as his first witness? Oh, just the Father. No big deal. He calls the Father. It really seems like that would be all that one would need to hear is the testimony of Almighty God. But then Jesus shows how the Father gives testimony through three witnesses. We see the testimony of John the Baptist in this passage. How does God the Father bear witness through John the Baptist? 
John the Baptist was sent by God. Then we have the testimony of Jesus' works. How does the Father bear witness of who Jesus is through the works? Because these works of the Father were entrusted to the Son. And then the testimony of the Scriptures is the third one. How do they bear witness of the Son? How is that the Father bearing witness of the Son? They are inspired by God. The Father bears witness to who Jesus is, the identity of His Son, through the witnesses of John the Baptist, through the works that Jesus performs, and through the testimony of the Scriptures. Now, where am I getting this idea? Look at verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, you might take that to mean John the Baptist, but then he goes on to say, I don't receive my testimony from man. If you have the New King James or if you have the NASB, you'll notice that the another that Jesus is referring to is the Father because the He has a capital H. That's the translators telling you that they understand that Jesus is talking about the Father. That He bears witness about me that He is the Father. I know that the testimony that He bears about me is true. Who are you talking about, Jesus? He, meaning the Father. The Father bears testimony of the Son, and the Son knows that this testimony is true. This begs the question, how and when did the Father bear witness of the Son? We certainly haven't seen that take place in this Gospel, have we? Most likely, the Mount of Transfiguration hasn't taken place, but even if it has, the Father bore witness of His Son from heaven, but who was there at the Mount of Transfiguration? Just Peter, James, and John. The Father bore witness from heaven of the Son at His baptism. That's recorded in the synoptics, but we're not given any indication in those passages that anyone heard what the Father said. Even John the Baptist in chapter 1, when he points to the baptism event as the moment when he knew Jesus was the Messiah, he doesn't say that he knew that that was the Messiah because he heard the voice bear witness of him from heaven. Do you remember what he said? He said that God told him when he sent him that he upon whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that's the one who baptizes with the Spirit. So he doesn't, you would think that John the Baptist would say, oh, when I baptized him, God literally spoke from heaven. But he doesn't mention that. So when did the Father bear witness of Jesus? Look at verse 37. Let's make this even more difficult. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Great. His voice you have never heard. What? His form you have never seen. So the Father has borne witness about the Son. The Son knows it's true, but you've never heard His voice. You've never even seen Him. What? Well, then how do I know that He bore witness of the Son? I submit to you that this is possible because the Father bears witness of the Son 
through the witness of John the Baptist. How? Because he sent John the Baptist. He gave him a message. Through the works that Jesus performs, because the Father entrusted these works to Jesus. And through the scriptures that the Father has inspired. Let's look at these in greater detail and hopefully it will become more clear as we walk through it. Let's look at this John the Baptist who was sent by God. Verse 33. You sent to John. So notice, there's another one who's bearing witness about me. And I know that his witness is true. And he's bearing witness through John. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. Do you think that Jesus is saying, my claims are valid because a man in the wilderness said that I would be coming? Do you think that Jesus is staking his reputation on the words of a man? Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. Jesus is The veracity of his claims, they are not based upon the words of a man. Those words that John the Baptist was speaking came from who? They came from the Father. He was sent with a message. He came to bore witness to the truth. This indicates that what John has said is still true. When he says that John bore witness to the truth, John hasn't changed his mind. He's he's saying that in such a way that what he said still stands. It's still true. Parents, have you ever told your kids not to do something? And then you found them doing that thing. What is often the first sentence out of your mouth? What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Right? What, what What are you meaning there? Is that what you said a little while ago still bears weight? It's still true because you said it. And that's exactly the way that this is written. Is that what John the Baptist has said, what he proclaimed, what he testified to, what he bore witness to, it's still true. Even though he said it out in the wilderness, even though he was wearing camel's hair, even though he was eating the strangest things in the world, what he said is true. And why is it true? Is it because John the Baptist was a great preacher? What is it that makes John the Baptist a credible witness? Why would Jesus point to John the Baptist as a witness to his deity? Isn't that a little crazy? We learn from chapter 1 alone that John the Baptist understood that he was a man sent from God. Not just a man who decided a certain ministry path, but that he was sent by God. Perhaps more specifically, He understood that he was a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Do you think that John the Baptist sat around and thought up this great sermon that would be called prepare the way of Yahweh? Did he bust out his MacArthur study Bible and commentary and his Greek lexicon and then create, craft this wonderful exposition and said, hey, you know what? Prepare the way of Yahweh. I think that's, that, that's catchy. No, this is a message that was given to him. John the Baptist was a man who was prophesied of in the Old Testament. 
And as such, he was a man that God sent specifically to prepare the way of the coming Messiah who was going to come right after him. Could you find then a more credible witness in human terms than a man who has been expected to come for generations because he was prophesied of in the Old Testament and then was sent by God himself with a specific message from God of the coming of the Son of God. That, in human terms, is an incredibly credible witness. What's more is that Jesus says that what he said is true, that he bore witness to the truth. So what was the content of John's testimony? He said of Jesus that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And he stated explicitly in verse 34 of chapter 1, get this, that Jesus is the Son of God. And what is Jesus standing here in front of the Jews saying? Yeah, when he said that, that was true. He was bearing witness to the truth. So clearly, John the Baptist did precisely what he was sent to do. He did not deviate from the message. Now notice that Jesus said that all John bore witness to was the truth. So John was who he said he was. And Jesus is who John said he is. Not because John is some brilliant uh, preacher, but because he was a man sent by the Father. And the Father was bearing witness of His Son through this messenger named John the Baptist. That's what he's saying, verse 34. The testimony that I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. That testimony that John bore, what John was saying, it was not from him. It was from the Father. Man does not legitimize or substantiate the claims of Jesus Christ. The veracity of Jesus' claims does not rise and fall with the character of the people who are sent to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, whether what Jesus has said is true or not does not depend on man. It doesn't depend on what people say about him. Whenever he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they got a bunch of wrong guesses. Did that mean, because they didn't guess right, that Jesus ceased to be who he is? No. Because his identity, his character, his nature, is not hinged upon what people say. In other words, let every man be a liar, and let only God be true. If everyone denied the existence of God, and every one of us were still dead in our sins, and we still rejected the claims of Jesus, and we did not believe in the existence of God, God, what we said, what we read in Psalm 113 today, would still be true of Him. It would still be true that His glory is above the heavens. It would still be true that He's worthy of worship. It would still be true that He's the great I Am. It would still be true that He's the Ancient of Days because He doesn't need anybody's help in order to tell the truth or to make what He's saying true. We could sit in this room and deny until we're blue in the face that the sun is not in the sky. 
Does that mean that the sun ceases to be in the sky? No. It's there. It shines whether you like it or not. And Jesus is God whether people reject him or not. What John the Baptist had to say about Jesus was absolutely true. John the Baptist's message that the Messiah is here. And do you remember that he was standing with his disciples and he pointed to Jesus? And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is standing here saying, That was true. He wasn't just saying stuff. He wasn't just off his rocker. He didn't have two, three too many or one too many locusts this morning. What John the Baptist said was true because it was not his own testimony. It was the testimony that the Father had given to him so that he could bear witness through him of his Son. Then look to the second half of verse 34. I say these things so that you may be saved. Isn't this remarkable? Put yourself here in this context. Imagine having gone out to see this wild man out in the wilderness preaching that Yahweh is coming and baptizing people. Though John the Baptist might have seemed like a bizarre individual to them, or even to us, if his message was received in faith, you would be saved. If you believed the words that that wild man in the wilderness was proclaiming, you would be saved. Why? Because the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ does not need the help of man. It doesn't need a fancy preacher. It doesn't need a degree for a fancy seminary. It doesn't need the English Standard Version Bible. It doesn't need the lights down low and every head bowed and every eye closed. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful because it's empowered by the Spirit of God. And when we hear it, and the Spirit gives us the ears to hear and the eyes to see, that's all that we need. That means that you could go to a wild man standing in the wilderness who's proclaiming the truth of God sent by God, and if you believed what he said, you'd be saved. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Because it doesn't... There are not different classes of Christian because of where you got saved. Because you heard the gospel from so-and-so. And that means that you have some upper-level Christianity. It doesn't matter if you were in jail, or if you were out in the wilderness, or if you were in John MacArthur's church, or Charles Spurgeon's church. The gospel is powerful because it is God's message. Because His Spirit empowers it. Well then, how was John the Baptist's testimony received? Verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. This is a way of saying what we read in chapter 1, that John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John was a lamp. He was not the light. He was a lamp. Jesus is the light. He brought the light of the proclamation of Christ into the darkness of the dead religious system of the day. And the people, Jesus says, they rejoiced in that light, if only for a little while. They were excited to hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. 
We get the impression that John the Baptist's ministry was incredibly popular and it was this way because he was viewed as a prophet. He was the last Old Testament prophet and by all accounts, the first Old Testament prophet after 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. They didn't have any words of the Lord. They didn't have this. And now finally, the next one who comes is the prophet who's saying that he's preparing the way of Yahweh. They're excited about this. Hundreds of years have gone by since they've had a word from the Lord. And the next one that they get is that the Messiah is here. That would be very exciting to a Jew who grew up hearing of the coming Messiah and the promises of Israel. So they rejoiced. So you would think then, with all the excitement about John's message, and that they rejoiced in what he had to say, that when the one that John pointed to was revealed, that that excitement would be a hundredfold a thousandfold. In other words, if they were excited about the messenger of the Messiah, saying that the Messiah is coming, how much more would they have been excited to actually meet the Messiah? Oh, verse 18, they wanted to kill him. Jesus here is brilliantly lining up his closing argument by showing them they were excited about him. You should be excited way more about me. So then he points to the second witness, the testimony of the works. Verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Yeah, no kidding. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Do you see, this is where I get that the Father bears witness of the Son through the works. Because the Father gave the Son the works to accomplish. That's what the text says. He says, the very works that I am doing. Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me because the Father has given these works to the Son so that He could bear witness of who the Son is through these mighty works. So if John, Jesus' testimony is greater than the testimony of John the Baptist because he, Jesus has the message and he also has the signs and wonders, they should readily accept what Jesus is saying. So Jesus is masterfully crafting his defense in such a way that's going to set up his closing argument that we'll get to next week. If they rejoiced in the light of the lamp, they should rejoice when they are confronted with the light of the world. The people seem to acknowledge this, at least in part, later in chapter 10, verse 41. Many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. If everything that John said about this man was true, then surely everything this man says is true as well. Because he's saying the same thing that John said, and he has the signs and wonders. How is it that the works that Jesus did are the testimony of the Father? There are many today who want to take the miracle working ministry of Jesus and say that he did this purely out of compassion. That was it. It was the sole motivator is that Jesus was compassionate. Now we do absolutely see the compassion of Jesus and his miracles, don't get me wrong. But that is not the entire purpose of the miracles. 
Jesus shows us clearly that the works are meant to point to something greater. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And do you know who understood this? Jesus. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish bear witness about me that I am compassionate. No? Just seeing who's following along and who's checked out. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The works of the Father entrusted to the Son to accomplish, they bear witness to the veracity of the claims of Christ. And they serve as the Father bearing witness to who the Son is because they were given to the Son by the Father. We see this a few more times in this Gospel in chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus speaking, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus says it clearly in the very next chapter. You can flip there, chapter 6, 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. What does that mean? That is that the work the Father is doing through the Son. He has entrusted these works for the Son to accomplish that He might work saving faith in the hearts of those who not only see the sign, but they see what the sign are pointing to, that Jesus is the Son of God. That is why John says in his purpose statement of this Gospel, do you remember, that Jesus did many other signs? He tells us, but these are included so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Father bears witness to the Son of who the Son is through the testimony of John the Baptist, through the works that He has entrusted to the Son, and third, and perhaps most importantly, through the testimony of the Scriptures. Look at verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. We have seen the Father bear witness through John the Baptist and through the works and now through the Scriptures. Jesus says that the Father has borne witness about Him. And then He says that the Jews have never heard His voice or seen His form. So the way that, they, that Jesus can say that the Father has borne witness about Him is through the written Word. You do not have His Word abiding in you. You can't have the Father's testimony of the Son in you if you do not have God's Word in you. 
How does Jesus know that they do not have God's word in them? Aren't they the experts of the law? Wouldn't they have had large sections of Torah memorized? And would they not be the teachers of the law? I mean, if anybody knew Scripture, it's the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, you don't have His Word abiding in you. Notice, you do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe the One whom He has sent. To reject Christ is to reject the Word of God, and vice versa. Verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. To reject Christ is to reject the testimony of the Scriptures. Yes, even if you're a teacher of the law. There's a man named Bart Ehrman. I had to read a book from him in seminary. It was to understand arguments against Scripture. This man claims to have been a believer once upon a time, and his story is that what made him not a believer was studying Scripture. I would beg to differ that he might would submit that he was probably studying the wrong way because Jesus tells us that the Scriptures bear witness of him. And his whole life's work is to discredit the Scriptures. Why? Because if I can discredit the Word, I can discredit the one who the Word is about. You have those friends who say that, well, wasn't the Bible written by man? Can we really trust the Bible? What's behind that is a desire to discredit what the Scriptures point to, who the Scriptures point to. It's a desire to discredit the message of Jesus and who He is. And we see that on display right here. We're going to get more into that next week as we look at the, the charge that Jesus brings against them. But suffice it to say for today, that anytime you hear that, of someone desiring to discredit your Scriptures, this is not ultimately where the, the argument, what they're trying to accomplish is just to discredit this, they want to discredit Jesus, who He is, as revealed where? Right here. Why? Because then I, Jesus is who I think He is. Jesus is the kind of God that I think He is. Back whenever I used to have to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, they teach you of searching for a, God, a higher power, a God of your own understanding. There would be times where they would literally say, your higher power can be this doorknob. It could be this door. It could be anything. It's a higher power that you are looking to to strengthen you. Do you know what that is? It's a desire to stop drinking, but you still want your sin. You still want to be lost in sin. I have a God. I believe in God. A God of your own understanding is a God made in your own image, which is an idol that cannot save. Many Orthodox Jews today, they still reject Christ. 
And they reject Him supposedly on the evidence of Scripture. Because they reject the testimony of the New Testament and they only recognize the inspiration and authority of the Old Testament. And they think that that gives them the case. But what does Jesus say? He says that the Scriptures bear witness about Him. Was He talking about 1 Corinthians? Was He talking about 1 Peter? Maybe He was talking about the Gospel of John. No. He was talking about the Old Testament. They didn't call it that because the New Testament had not been written. So when Jesus says the Scriptures bear witness about Me, He's talking about that part of your Bible that you don't like to turn to. Or that many Christians don't like to turn to today. I think that this passage helps us to love our, the entire Bible. We grew up in the waters around here that the Old Testament is really for the Israelites. The promises of the Old Testament it's not really for us, it's for the Israelites. Christians have the New Testament. But what is Jesus saying? The Old Testament bears witness about Him. It's about Him. Do you want to learn to love your Bible more? Understand that all from Genesis to Revelation, it's all bearing witness of Jesus. Do you know where the Gospel is first proclaimed? In Genesis chapter 3. The promise of the coming seed. Your whole Bible, it's all about Jesus. That means that the promises that are found in the Old Testament that we're told only belong to the Israelites. Do you know what we're told about Jesus? Is that all of the promises of God find their yes in Him. Do you know what that means? All of the promises of the Old Testament. They find their yes in Jesus. Are you in Christ? Those promises are yours. When God proclaims in Isaiah, I will be with you, fear not, I will be with you, that's a blood-brought promise for you of the coming kingdom, of all things that are promised in the Old Testament that's yours if you are in Christ. That's what Jesus tells us. I love that about our Lord. We shouldn't just look at the New Testament and think that that's the only place that we find Jesus or that we find how to live our lives. But that also tells us that when we read the Old Testament, it's not a bunch of nice moral stories that we can rip out of context and make them mean what we want them to mean. You know, like you're David, and Goliath is your debt, and you're going to swing your stones of faith, and you're going to slay the giant of debt in your life. That's not what that story's about at all. Jesus is telling us that those scriptures bear witness about him, not about you, not about your debt, not about those extra five pounds you want to lose. Not about that breakthrough that you're promised. That the, all of the Scriptures are about Him. So the way to faithfully read your Bible is through the lens of Christ. Understanding that it is all about Him. 
Let's stand. God bore witness of his son through the scriptures in promising a coming Messiah and in promising a a coming messenger that would say, prepare the way of Yahweh. And then through God's purposeful sovereignty, he brought it all to pass. He sent John the Baptist who faithfully proclaimed the message. He sent Jesus Christ in the exact way that he said he would. And he entrusted the Son with the works that he would perform. The Father bears witness to the identity of his Son in these three compelling, irrefutable ways. The Jews would have done well to be convinced by this undeniable testimony. So would you and I. That we would hear this testimony of the Father of who His Son is, as proclaimed through John the Baptist, as demonstrated in the works that He performed, and as seen in the testimony of the Old Testament. We would do well to see all of this evidence before us and say, it's true. I believe in Him. So friend, have you ever believed that message? Is that true of you? That you see all of this evidence and it is overwhelming that Jesus is who He said He is. And that He came to do what He said He came to do. And so your trust is in Him for who He is. If you've never done so today, believe upon Him right where you are. Call upon Him. Believe in your heart that He is who He says He is. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and the Scriptures promise you that you will be saved. And for those of us who you are in Christ, I hope that hearing Jesus' powerful defense this morning would serve to strengthen your faith in Him and fill your heart with worship as you're reminded that He is who He says He is especially as we come to the Lord's table this morning.